Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. All right. Open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Genesis. We're going to be going to chapter 26 this morning. And uh, today, our message is going to be entitled, uh, you're going to think this is strange, but it's the title of the message anyway, okay? The title of the message is, What Good is a Promise When You're Starving? Hello? It's going to preach better than it sounds, okay? (laughs) What good is a promise when you're starving? Wow. Well, let me catch you up to where we are at Genesis chapter 26. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 26, we are going to be talking about a man named Isaac. You remember who Isaac was? Isaac is the son of Abraham. Okay? Now, Abraham was 75 years old when God said, I want you to be my covenant partner, Abraham. Abraham said, well, okay, what do I have to do? He said, well, you're going to have to believe me. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to walk before me, listen to me, and do the things I say. So Abraham said, well, you know, I'm paraphrasing this, but at 75, God said, will you be my covenant partner? He said, if you will, I'm going to give you all the land of Canaan, and I'm going to bless your descendants And I'm going to make you a blessing, and I'm I'm going to take care of you and all of your descendants, Abraham. So Abraham said, okay, I'll do it. And Abraham moved to Canaan. Abraham lived in Canaan with a promise from God that God was going to give him a son, make him the father of many nations, and bless his offspring. Well, it was 25 years later. That's a long time living with a promise. 25 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, that his wife Sarah, who had been barren, received a miracle from God and brought forth her firstborn son and named him Isaac, a son of promise. This was the promised son that God was going to give Abraham. Abraham is 100 years old. Life continued to unfold, and things were going good, and Abraham was doing well. Isaac grew up to be about 40 years old, and his mother had passed away. He missed his mama. And at 40 years old, Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. He loved her. She loved him. But she was barren. For 20 years, she did not have a child. And when Isaac was 75 years old, he, well, let me back up 15 years. When Isaac was 60 years old, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. When Isaac was 75 years old, his daddy died. Abraham died at 175. Isaac was 75. Isaac's two boys were 15 years old. They lived in a place called Be'er Lahai Roy, near Beersheba. Let me give you a geography lesson, okay? 
Are you ready? This is not going to be easy. <laughs> That's better than let me show you something I saw in a cartoon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Imagine that this is Israel. Okay. Y'all got that? This is Israel. Let me back up more so you can see. All right. Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing? This is Israel. Okay. Uh, Lebanon. You come down through the Galilee, through Samaria. You get down to Judah and to Jerusalem. If you continued south, you'd go through Bethlehem, Hebron, down to Beersheba. If you kept going south, you'd go about another 70, 80 miles. You'd be in Egypt across the Sinai. This is all called the Negev. Beersheba. Beersheba means well of seven. Okay? Bear, well, Shiva, seven. It's because Abraham dug the well and gave the man seven lambs for the property. Well of seven. Beersheba. So Abraham and Isaac generally lived in this kind of little area. There's a, there's a well out here called Bear Lahai Roy. It means the Lord will see and he will, you know, he will take care of you. That's what it means. It's the well where Hagar saw the angel. Well, this is where Isaac lived. And so when he, Isaac was 75 years old, there came a famine in this land. There was no food, no water, no nothing. Over here is the Mediterranean Ocean. Right along the Mediterranean is the Gaza Strip. Okay? Right beside the Gaza Strip, only 25 miles from Beersheba, is called the Valley of Gerar. We'll read about it in a moment. It's a valley. It goes from about 100 feet above sea level all the way to about 500 feet above sea level. It's very, very fertile. Oh, my goodness. If you look at it on a map, it's all green and wonderful, okay, between the Mediterranean and Beersheba and this desert. Well, when the famine hit this land, Isaac was 75, Abraham was dead, he had two 15-year-old boys, he was having trouble feeding his flock, he was having trouble feeding his family. All he had was a promise from God. But he was in a famine. So he decides that he's going to leave the area of Beersheba. He's going to walk over here through this valley of Gerar. Over next to the Mediterranean, there was a road that went down to Egypt. And he was going to go down and spend some time in Egypt waiting on the famine to cure itself. Everybody get the picture? So he would have walked like this through the Valley of Gerar. The, the Valley of Gerar was controlled by the Philistines and a king named Abimelech. Are you ready? All right. Y'all got where we are now? Okay. Let's look. We'll begin reading uh, in Genesis 26. And remember, the Bible is not just a historical record. The Bible is a road map. 
God did not write this for them. He wrote it for us so that we can see their failures and see their successes and so that we can embrace those things we want to do and avoid those things that we don't. Okay? The Bible is a roadmap for us. Today we're going to learn three principles from this account that's going to teach us something that we can apply to our lives today, something God wants us to see. So, Genesis 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land besides the famine, the first famine, that was in the days of Abraham. That was about 100 years earlier. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. But he was on his way. He was just passing through Gerar, going to head down to Egypt. Okay? But when he got to King Abimelech, and Abimelech may have been more of a title, there were a number of Abimelechs. There was one in the days of Abraham. This is a different one, okay? This is 100 years later. So as he's walking, he gets to King Abimelech. His intent is to go on down to Egypt. Then, verse 2 says, the Lord appeared to him. When did the Lord appear to him? The Lord appeared to him when he was in Gerar, when he got to this king Abimelech. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, in the land of Gerar, in that valley of Gerar, that very fertile valley of Gerar. Live here. Even though there's a famine going on, live here. And I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So... Smart thing to do, verse 6, Isaac dwelt right there in Gerar. He just did what God said. Wow. Well, this story is a very interesting story because it teaches us some things as we continue to move along in this account. One of the things we're going to learn about this morning concerns the heart. The first principle this morning it's the heart. What am I talking about the heart? Well, you know, what good is a promise when you're starving? Well, it depends on who promised you. Because if you are a covenant partner with God, which Isaac was, when Abraham died, the covenant passed from Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac was now the covenant partner of God in the earth, and God had given him a promise. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. This is going to be your land. Your descendants are going to inherit it, and you're going to do well here. Only don't leave this place. Don't go back down to Egypt. Egypt is always a symbol of the world and the world's ways. It's a symbol of going into bondage. It's a symbol of going into slavery. It's a symbol of going back to the world. And that's what he said. He said, listen, 
I have given you a promise. Don't go back to the world. I know you're having a difficult time. I know you can barely feed your family. I know your animals are suffering, and I know there's a famine in the land. And I know that you have a way out. All you got to do is just go back down to the world. All you got to do is go back to your old worldly ways, and you can fix it. But don't go down to Egypt. I've given you a promise. God knew something that Isaac didn't know. God knew where the water was. God knew where the blessings were. You see, God knows where our blessings are, and God is trying to get us to do things his way, to live in his kingdom instead of letting the pressures of life or the circumstances, situations, the debt, the problems that the world is facing draw us into a worldly existence. Pull us back down out of the kingdom, out of the promise of God. You see, God's promise to Isaac was not blessing in Egypt. It was blessing in the land of promise. For every covenant partner of God, God's promise is better than money in the bank. God's promise is better than food in the pantry. God's promise is better than water in a well. For every covenant partner of God, for every person who is born again, for every person upon whom the promise of God has come by way of covenant, his word is enough. The temptation for Isaac was to look at how he could fix his own problems. Look at the circumstance. Look at the situation. Look around him and go back to the world. In times of trouble, don't go back to your old life or your old ways of doing things. I know there's pressure and problems, and I know circumstances you know, surround every person. But stop trying to survive in the world. Stop trying to just make ends meet. Stop trying to run down there and do what they do whenever you're in need, and you don't think you can any longer do what you need to do. Listen, you could never do it. Almighty God has this. He has it all in control. He just wants you to trust him and try him and prove him. Trust the Lord. Continue living in the promised land. You see, it's not over till God says it's over. Stay in the place God has put you. He finally got you out of Egypt. He finally got you out of the world. He finally got you out of bondage. He finally got you out of hell. He finally got you into church. He finally got you into peace. He's finally got you here. Don't let the next problem push you back out there in, a, in some little lifeboat trying to survive on an ocean of worldliness that doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, and is not going to feed you and take care of you. You might can make some money cheating or lying or stealing, but don't. You are in a covenant with God. Don't cheat on your income tax. For what? $50? Whoopee! This is good preaching. <laughs> Come on now. Somebody say glory. glory. All right. Trouble is often just a test. Trouble in your business, trouble in your marriage, trouble in your, in, in, in your you know, schoolwork, in your job. It's just a test. Trouble in your body, it's a test. But it's an open book test. Okay. Yeah, 
It may not be easy. It may require a little work, but it works when you work it. It works. God's covenant works. Almighty God is greater than any enemy, greater than any, any sickness, any disease, greater than any addiction, greater than any other satisfaction. Do not attempt to satiate your problem with the world's remedies. Almighty God has the answer. God has offered you a covenant with him. Isn't that amazing? God has offered his covenant partnership to you. What do you have to do to say yes to the covenant? You know, Abraham had to do something. Isaac had to do something. What do you have to do to say yes? God's offering you to be his covenant partner. Well, if you are a sinner, what do you have to do to say yes to be a covenant with God? If you're a sinner, number one, you need to recognize you need a Savior. Number two, you need to repent of your sins. And number three, you need to receive Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. Okay? That's what you have to do if you're a sinner. What if you're a saved person? What if you're a saint? For the saved, if you want to continue to be in covenant with God... It's conditional. What you need to do, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Christ. That's what it takes. It takes getting serious about God. It takes not always saying yes to ourselves, but saying no sometimes, denying going down into Egypt because it's easier and because we think it's more profitable, but we say yes to him and we live in the promised land. We stay in his promise and we do it his way. We take up our cross daily and follow him. The first principle that we need to apply to our lives from this account today is our heart. I have fixed my heart. My heart is fixed. That's what David said. I shall not be moved. If the world come against me, if problems, circumstances, situations come against me, I have already decided my heart belongs to God. I'm not going to let fear push me around, oppression, worry, and terror, anxiety. I'm not going to bow to stress. I'm not going to get so stressed out that I start kicking and fussing and cussing and, and, and tearing stuff up. No, my heart belongs to God. Oh, heart, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Don't go back down into the ways of the world. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. The first principle deals with our heart. Is your heart fixed in God? Is your heart established? Have you decided that God brought you out of bondage? He finally got you into church, and this is where I'm going to stay. It's what I'm going to do. He's going to find me worshiping him. He's going to find me growing in the word. He's going to find me finding the place of service in his kingdom. He's going to find me working for him because my heart is in the kingdom of God. My heart's not out there in the bars. My heart's not out there in the nightclubs. My heart's not out there running the streets. My heart's not out there carousing around at night. My heart's not out there doing those things that I used to do. My heart is in the church. My heart is in the family of God. My heart is in missions. My heart is in the work of God. It's good stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't let the devil give you some trouble and take you out of where God finally got you. The second principle deals with our giving. Look at the continued story of Isaac. Isaac, dwell here, God said. Well, Isaac said, okay, I'll dwell here. I'll do it your way, God. But just living, just sitting in church, as Pastor John Osteen used to say, sitting in church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage will make you a car. You got to do something. You got to participate. You got to invest something. Genesis 26. Look what Isaac did in the middle of a famine. In the middle of not having enough to feed his kids. Not having enough to feed his animals. Not having enough to take care of his... Look what he did in the middle of all of his trouble and problems. He was headed to Egypt. God stopped and said, live here. So here's where he's living. Guess what he's doing? He's doing what we should all be doing anywhere God puts us. He's investing. Isaac, in Genesis 26, verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land. Wait a second. It was a land of famine. It was a time when he didn't have enough. It was a time when things weren't going well. Nope. Isaac understood. I don't sow. I don't reap. If this is where God put me, then this is where I sow. Hello? Let me just run a little thing right here. By the way, you know, if you happen to eat at McDonald's, don't go across the street and pay at Burger King. Okay? Eat wherever you want to, but pay where you eat because it won't be there if you don't. And that's what Isaac found. Here's where I am, and here's where my seed belongs. Isaac sowed in that land where God had put him, and Isaac reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Listen, you can come out of a hole in a hurry. Woo! God can absolutely change something overnight. One hour, one, one day, one moment Deliverance and success and blessings, however, will require that we trust in God's ways instead of the ways of the world. That we continue to live in the place and thrive in the place God's put us. That we sow even in the time of famine. That we understand, especially in the time of famine, that God gives Seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Don't consume your seed. You see, it's very important to do what Isaac did. Read the whole account. Isaac dug a well. Why did he dig a well? There's something different about a glass of water and a well of water. There's something different about getting a drink from somebody else's well and digging your own. There's something powerful about a well. I've been to that well maybe, maybe a dozen, two dozen times. I've been to these wells. I've, I've gone around to each one of these wells we talk about. 
I've stood there and looked. I've opened the Bible and read. I've prayed. I've sought God. I give me revelation, God. But you know one of the biggest revelation I got? Is after 4,000 years, it's still there producing water. It must have taken him a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months to, to dig it. But it's been giving water for 4,000 years. He didn't just sow his seed there. He wanted to make sure that future generations also saw this as a blessed place of the Lord. So he began to dig a well for others. And look what happened in Genesis 23, verse 13, the very next verse. The man, Isaac, he began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. <laughs> Boy, there's a three-point sermon for somebody right there. Whenever he, in the time of famine, God told him, here's where I want you. But things aren't going real good for me. Nope, just, just, just hang on right here. He went ahead and invested in that place and he began to prosper and he prospered and he continued prospering until he was very prosperous. Whoa, whoo, sounds like he did pretty good right there and got a hundredfold return in just one season. As the story of Isaac unfolds, it runs parallel with our lives today. Gerar, that valley, belonged to the Philistines. Yes, Isaac dug a well. Yes, he did. In fact, the well that he dug was actually a well that his father had dug perhaps a hundred years earlier. Maybe 80 years earlier. And it had been stopped up. Nobody had been maintaining it. That happens. But as soon as Isaac cleaned out that well, guess what happened? Here came the world and claimed it. The Philistines came and said, that's our well. So Isaac just went a little farther down the valley, cleaned out another one of his daddy's wells. When they saw it's working again, guys, here came the world. Here came the Philistines. Here came the enemy and said, that's ours, and they claimed it. Do you know sometimes you can be working for God, working pretty hard, and all of a sudden, here comes the IRS. I mean. Uh, <laughs> here comes the devil. I don't know. Here comes. I, I, I really shouldn't have said that. I did plant it in my head just about a second and a half before I said it. Uh, not everything you think needs to come out your mouth, by the way. There's a lesson. Some of you leave with that one and say, yeah, that's pretty good. He just went and dug another one, and here came the Philistines and said, nope, that's ours too. Nope, that's ours too. You know, the world will claim a lot of your hard work. It will. It just will. I don't know what else you can do about it. But he didn't kick and stomp and say, I'm not digging another well. I'm not doing anything. I mean, sometimes we can be disappointed by different things. Sometimes all of our hard work can look like it meant nothing. But you know what Isaac kept doing? He kept on living where God told him to live. He kept on working like he had to work. He kept on sowing seeds and he kept on digging wells. And he finally got to a place, you can read it, where he dug a well. And the Bible says that no one argued with him about it. And no one strove with him. 
him, and it was his well, and he called the name of that well Rehoboth, which means the Lord has made room for me. You know, God finally gave me my own. I, I have dug enough wells you know, for the tax man. God's finally given me my own. Wow. It's important that we realize that we can't control everything that happens, but we can control us. Just don't stop digging for the future. Don't stop digging to bless others. There was a drink of water a lot of places, but, but Isaac had a heart to dig wells for the future. To dig wells. I have a heart to dig wells. To, 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 to water, you know, the world. Not just, not just watering, you know, not just getting us a drink of water. But let's dig a well that will water the world for generations to come. It'll take a little time. It'll take a little effort. We may have to dig more than one. But let me tell you something. God's going to make room. You can dig a well. Dig some wells. A good goal for 2019 is to endeavor to leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Principle number three. Principle number three involves my altar. That's the next thing significant that we find Isaac doing. Genesis 26, a little farther down in verse 25. Isaac had been prospered. Isaac had been blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. So what did he do? So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug another well. <laughs> he built an altar. What did he do? He knew that he was busy. He was prosperous. He was a busy man. But he took time to make sure that he had a personal place to worship God. He took time to call upon the name of the Lord and to thank him for the blessings because those blessings came through him. He remembered what it was like just a little bit earlier in the famine. He remembered what last year, last, last month, last decade looked like. He remembered what the world looked like whenever he was in need and he realized God has met my needs and I need to stop and I need to thank him and I need to pitch my my tent in the place that God has blessed me. That's where I need to let my roots go down. That's where I need to make my commitment. And that's where I need to make sure that there's a well in that place. Well, y'all get the picture, right? The world will make you wealthy. But you know, worldly wealth creates opportunity. It does. But covenant wealth creates responsibility and that's what Isaac realized that God had blessed him and that makes him responsible it makes him obligated to make sure that when God blesses you that it makes you a blessing instead of going from well to well always in search of your next opportunity to quench your thirst why not become one of those who pitches your tent and creates a well in the place that God has put you so that you and others might partake of water for generations to come. It may take time and energy and effort digging a well, but it's better than searching for water all the time. 
What else do you have to do? So I conclude with what good is the promise when you're starving? Well, when it's a promise from God and you are a covenant partner with God, it's better than money in the bank. It's better than food in the pantry. And it's better than water in the well. Are you a covenant partner with God? He's offering you a covenant partnership. Okay. He has a place for you. Pitch your tent. Establish your heart. I'm not going back to the world. I'm not going back. I'm here. Invest where God has placed you. Sow your seeds even in difficult times. And then make sure that you take time to thank God for all the blessings He will give you. They're coming. Okay? They're coming. Amen.